Hello and welcome to the Palma Podcast. This episode is going to be on truth. And there's a lot that gets made out of truth and a lot of uh, misnomers when people come to thinking about what truth really means. And what I want to focus on mostly is a concept called conditionally true. And that's where we tend to make the most of our mistakes because things can, in a particular set of circumstances or in a specific way, be true, but not generally be true. So uh, when you can think about this in the approach to a scientific method. So if you uh, apply a system in a particular way and there is a specific outcome, like say you're adding uh, various amounts of sugar to water to determine at what point it stops being soluble, right? So uh, you will find things that will be uh, conditionally true based on the nature of the two materials that you're using. So the types of, uh, of sugars and then the type of water and the nature and how pure it is. So if you're using orange juice instead of water, right, you're changing one of the conditions. So in that way, um, we tend to extrapolate things from conditional truth to absolute truth. So when you're doing the method um, and you're using something that's going to be consistent, say you're using simple rock sugars and using absolutely pure water, now you can start making that result as more absolute truth. And you know that's where our one plus one equals two kind of truth comes from. But the more personal truths that we have tend to fall in that conditionally true. Uh, so if you're changing around the circumstances, um, especially when we talk in terms of emotions and feelings about people and things, it becomes harder and harder to uh, take a very focused and measured approach to how we see truth in those things. Uh, they, th those truths tend to be more situational. So um, a conditional truth, a better example might be um, in the sporting world where we rank players, right? So in some senses, under the conditions that whichever rating association determines, they make those rankings. Now, it's not necessarily an absolute truth that rank one is a better player than rank two and so on down the list. The conditions that are required for the ranking are what determines it. But it doesn't necessarily lead to uh, an absolute fact in the same way because it is only in those sets of circumstances, only in that measured year, only based on the past performance of that last year were those or, or depending on the ranking system, but the idea that we would then say, oh, well, because this happened one time, therefore it's always going to be true. It doesn't work. And it really won't hold up in the sports world because the performance required to maintain that rank, even that will vary from time to time and from year to year. You know, it's not that it is a simple um, straightforward thing. And that's, again, how we get ourselves into a little bit of trouble, 
because the system that we use and the conditions that are used relate to the answer that we receive. And if we don't look at all of the different dynamics and the different uh, conditions that we're setting up, we can lead ourselves towards a very false sense of, uh, of certainty in, in some things. And we see this a lot in replication studies. And uh, in some ways, it's a bit a fault on the media side for really bad reporting in science and the scientific method. Because, you know, headlines like scientists say, you know, no, it has to be like Dr. You know, James Smith from wherever says this, or the study undertaken by this for this purpose discovered this. But it's like scientists say, that's, that's not even close to even conditionally true. That's just some kind of absurdist principle. Mostly because we don't say. Like, that's not the function of science is to say stuff. The function of science is to test whether or not the theory holds to be true again and again and again and again. And that's the beautiful thing about it, is that the scientific method tends to try to avoid conditional truth and try to get more towards an absolute truth. But it recognizes conditional truth. And that's the important fact in the process. And if you miss using that methodology and understanding that while you have an outcome and you get an answer, it may not remain consistent and regular because it's the conditions. It's only in the circumstances that it was set up. Did it work? And this is very true when you see and you read stuff around nutrition and um Often these are like um, the self-generated studies, you know, like the, the orange juice industry determines that orange juice is good for you. It's like, well, um, we kind of had a hunch you were going to come with that kind of an outcome, right? Because by changing the conditions from the start, you change the outcomes. And it may be true in the set of circumstances. So in some ways, you could say, hey, the orange industry wants to look at all of the medical conditions and all of the medical uh, anecdotal references that can say um, that concentrations of vitamin C lead towards better health outcomes in fighting uh, particular um, medical conditions, right? That would be a real boon for them. So you can cherry pick or you can create an experiment where you know the outcome because you control the conditions. So in some ways, you're driving towards the specific outcome rather than testing the hypothesis. So that's when you, I would say, you fall out of the method, right? Because the method requires the use of a, a regimen of challenging the hypothesis. Right? You shouldn't be going out to prove your hypothesis. You should be always going out to disprove your hypothesis. So conditional truth is a real danger. Even if you do succeed in what you're trying to create, the idea that you haven't necessarily looked at altering your conditions to see whether or not 
um, things remain true. And that's, um, that's probably a, a funding issue too, because of the way we do grants and the way that, um, that the research is funded. You really don't get the luxury of being able to run sort of unrelated studies or research merely for the purposes of, you know, barraging your own work. And interest isn't in that um, direction because you're only going to get funding based on, you know, the, the publications and the outcomes that you can prove. You don't want to be the person in the field who is disproving their own work all the time because that doesn't lead towards a very successful career, even if it is a very true to the method itself. Um, and that challenge between our personal interest and our desire to see these outcomes makes it really challenging for us. Um, and because the humans involved in the method um, are subject to conditional truth, like the science isn't. And that's why, you know, it, it's problematic when you see uh, an anti-science reaction because the conditional truths created by the human side of it is, is where we tend to have those issues and problems develop. It's not a matter of the method or the idea that science itself is somehow responsible because it's, it's a methodology. It's not a, it's not a discipline. It's not a specific, you know, um, it's not a doctrine either, or a doctrine, or a religion, or any of the ways that people tend to describe it. It's, it's simply a method for the exploration of hypotheses, right? And it's it's not groundbreaking. Um, and luckily, we've had like a couple hundred years of a, a really established form of using that method in order to generate um, truth. And, and outcomes because you can test, verify, and re-verify. And the desire to just go out there and see if this thing remains true under different circumstances, it doesn't, that isn't how our uh, research and science is motivated in the modern world, mostly for economic and social factors. And that makes it really challenging because the method and conditional truth um, are not really that compatible, even though we tend to think of them the same way. Um, we will tend to want to see that um, that the we want like finite answers in our lives. We don't like um, the unknown so much, uh, kind of like a mystery in a puzzle, but like the pure unknown. Um, we'd rather just have a false answer that gives us some sense of security um, that the answer is known than it is to continue to explore or to defeat um, a concept that's already well known. And when we look back at some of the, the work that we've, uh, we've based other work on, and then you realize, oh, wait, you know, like um, the only reason that something worked was because the absolute and specific conditions existed, right? So if you want to talk another way about conditional truth, we're going to talk about um, social truth.
So when we talk in terms of, you know, honesty in our relationships and uh, things that remain a part of the interactions between people and that, that dialogue and exchange, when we talk about truth in that sense, there's a real challenge because the participants may not necessarily be using the same measuring. And that can get us all into a little bit of trouble because the conditions that party A and the conditions that party B can be working from can lead to a different truth, even if you have the same specific um, items. So unlike the scientific method where if you you know, arrange a particular atom and another particular atom in one way and um, and do certain things to it, the outcome will generally be the same each time you do that same thing, if you're using the same type of atom. But in the human example, right, you can go out to dinner to the restaurant that you usually go to, and you know it's a good restaurant, and you think you're going to have a good time, and you've been with your partner and you've been here many times and you had a good time therefore this restaurant equals a good time but again that's only conditionally true it's because you didn't get food poisoning when you were there you had a person you wanted to talk to so the social interaction was positive right so all of these conditions added up and then the person goes oh now my conditional truth is this is a good restaurant but you don't have all of the data, right? I could have gone to the exact same restaurant as you rave about. And if my uh, food was prepared poorly, or if I was in a bad mood when I arrived, I am not going to come to that. Or even if it's just the same, I'm in a bad mood when I arrive and my company is horrible. It doesn't matter how good the food is. My experience at that place is probably going to be lowered than the people who are a happy couple who go there regularly and have a great relationship and a great time and they continually reinforce the conditions for their personal truth that this place is good because they're entering it by fixing some of the conditions or eschewing them that they don't see particular variables right and when we're talking in social truths like that where You've, you've got that comparison between the, the different parties, right? And you have the same set of circumstances. So when we go to um, read reviews, right? One of the challenges for the people who are reading reviews is that we almost don't know where the reviewer is coming from. Um, I mean, there used to be a period in time where everything was almost entrusted towards a specific critic, right? And we've, we've kind of democratized criticism and the critique of, of services and goods to the general population. But if somebody is telling me about how bad a new uh, spicy food restaurant is, but I don't know the fact that they don't enjoy spicy food, then I could read their review and think, oh, this is a really bad restaurant. But it's only a really bad restaurant if the condition is you don't like spicy food. If you like spicy food, well, it's probably going to be a completely different truth and an outcome, right? Because the conditions are different. 
And I know this this probably seems really absurd, the kind of, of references that are being made to explain this kind of things, but that um, does kind of get to where we need to understand that human truth side of things. Because when we talk about um, like sort of scientific truth, mathematical truths, and like logical truths, and then our social truths, um, we tend to, as people, not distinguish um, a sense of order or a sense of valuation or accuracy um, or truthiness, as, as the new word seems to pop around. But it finds for us um, in our lives that this establishment of, of the regime of truth, um, it's, it is very personal, right? So you, uh, you have this alterna fact um, culture starting to develop because we're encountering each other through our technology at a faster rate. And so we're discovering things about each other that relate only to conditional truth. And when we do that, and it, it can be where those conditional truths have become institutional truths. And that's, that's a real challenge. Like if um, we look at, uh, say for an example, just for our, our, our minded example here, we have uh, the Canadian healthcare system, which is sort of a, a mix uh, of being a public system, but with uh, a provider network that's able to profit, right? So um, it isn't quite an absolute guarantee on, um, on fixed service provision, and we have a variable wait time issue for various um, services. Now, if you are needing to interact with the system and you need emergency related services um, you know for, for threat to life that is top cute right that is the way a triage based system works so if we were to look at it from pure uh, medical truth it would be raw triage down the, the lane and there would be no other factor that you would apply but we can't do that, right? That the complexity of the healthcare system has way too many conditions for a simple structure for truth like that. So we see a great deal of variation. Also, you know, I read international reporting on the Canadian healthcare system, and it talks about the Canadian healthcare system. But what the Canadian healthcare system is, is a patchwork of territorial and provincial healthcare systems under a mandate with some cost sharing, right? So we actually have, you know, some specific standards and Health Canada sets a regulatory environment, but Health Canada isn't what makes our hospitals, right? And it doesn't directly deliver healthcare services the way um, you would standardly think about it, right? For us, it's, that's the bureaucracy that manages the federal structure, right? And then the provincial uh, tends to be the delivery agent. And that leads to a, um, a different truth in each province. That also means that the attachment to the nationalized system that we have in terms of uh, the funding model, 
that there's guarantees from the federal government and that it is a devolved power to the provinces to manage um, health care. That the, um, the way we think about health care will have a huge, um, well, it'll be hugely related to the province that we come from and the nature of the care that's received. If you have a great little hospital that does all of these wonderful things for you and they've generally met all of your needs, your, your conditional truth for the Canadian healthcare system is going to be really high. But when you have that anecdotal experience of you or someone you really care about had to wait for a procedure, that, um, that is not as understood. Right. And therefore, those conditions uh, create panic and they create concern because, um, unfortunately, it's a capacity based system, right? There's, uh, we're geographically huge country, and not all places in the country can have all of the types of resources of modern medicine. Yeah, I mean, MRI machines are way too expensive to just have them like in every single clinic in every little town over like 100 people. It's just, it's not viable to have a system. Um, like that the costs um, just it wouldn't work so you know the, the conditions for the delivery of our healthcare system are not as simple as just oh we have an obligation to provide health care well let's go find some doctors and have them treat uh, there's a lot of other conditions that need to be satisfied and the dynamics between urban and rural and which province and the attachments and the nature of which governments um, get elected in those provinces and how they um, achieve their funding models and their compensation models. So we don't have a singular system here. When when we say the Canadian healthcare system, we're talking about the framework in, in most of the cases, and we're not actually talking about um, the specific system that we have, because the more absolute truth is that we have a multitude of healthcare systems in our country. And that's that's a little more complex to explain in um, in the evening paper or on the quick report. People just say, oh, you know, wait times are increased or, you know, there's backlash against increased wait times for cancer care. And so uh, by reporting on that story, everybody goes, oh, my gosh, that must be a, uh, a categorical failure of this model and system that they're using. But if they're, you know, if the conditions that they're looking from is they were only looking at our territorial governments, for example, that have incredibly limited resources and um, this not the same kind of, um, of capacities and populations and tax bases, then yeah, the both the quality and the capacity for care are going to be different. Wait times are going to be high. And that's going to be a challenge. If you also, at the same point, if you're averaging for our population, you really screw the results around the availability and capacities for um, our sparser areas because the concentration of population in urban centers, and particularly like in five cities in our country, like takes up more than half of our population. That's that's a significant thing. That's not quite true, uh, but I'm you know it's close. <laughs> and when we look at that, that that tends to be our uh, biggest failure is when we nationalize our results because we look at it 
from a, a national perspective, but the data sets are so different inside each province. Sometimes there's consistency, but when we're saying um, in the healthcare systems, because the provinces have so many powers, they've been able to change the conditions over time and the nature of how things are going. Uh, I mean, there's limits. And again, there's a specific framework that everyone has to sort of play in, but the truth for the residents, and that's what I want to get back to, is the, the user, right? Their truth is going to be dependent on the nature of the conditions. So on one hand, you know, um, I don't tend to have, and, you know, the idea of interacting with our healthcare system and having positive outcomes tends to also um, go along with what our actual health outcome is. So, um, you know, if if things are going bad or if there's uh, if there's diagnostic challenges, and that's that's probably where we're going to feel it the most as an individual is when there's a diagnostic challenge, because we need that truth and. If you think about um, comorbidity, which is when somebody has more than a single condition, right, which can really make diagnostics hard because you're trying to make a determination about what's making somebody ill, but the conditions in their lives are very hard to know and to have all of the evidence. And so you could say in many cases, Oh, well, you know, the symptoms fit A, therefore, uh, we're going to treat for A. And most of the time that's going to work out. But again, it's conditionally true. Um, so if you have a lot of students come to you, right? Say you've treated seven students in a row and they all have mono. So like the, the tests all come back, it's confirmed and you're like informing people and you're like, okay, you know, stay away from people. You've got mono, um, go take care of yourself, you know, and you provide um, treatment and medical recommendations based on that condition. And you have an eighth person who's young, they arrive, they show similar symptomology. You are very likely to be impacted by the fact that you just had seven cases in concentration, even if the symptoms have a variance that you would normally catch, you're likely to miss it because the conditions that were set up of having seven in a row make your brain go, oh, well, eight is obvious then. This is just number eight, right? Because you'll lose that little detail that tells you why it's not true, right? And that's why and I, I know I kind of focused a little too much in, in, in the medical references and stuff like that, but it, it's, it's an easier um, analogy because we almost, almost all of us will have to interact with health services over the course of our lives. So it, it, it tends to be relatable. Um, the system and the nature of the service will vary and the nature of the model will again change the outcomes. And one of the challenges that we have I think, and, and I'm speaking broadly as um, those with a more universalized system, is we have a really hard time fathoming why anyone would want any other type of model. Um, we think about the funding solutions, but 
the conditions of our experience change our view. So as governments continually underfunded our healthcare services, then the quality of those services declined and then the user satisfaction declined and therefore more criticism came in. Uh, again, going back to one of our other conditions of having a huge country uh, in terms of geography, but a small country in terms of population, um, it makes us uh, not an ideal site for concentrated medical services. The, um, you know, like, I mean, the, the, the medical evacuations that are required and the distances many people have to travel for primary care, for things that other countries um, don't seem to have um, logistic challenges on delivering. It's, it's a different model. And yes, we may have a, um, a kind of social bond and a, um, an agreed set of principles that may align our healthcare system with, say, Belgium, but they have a completely different um, nature of their geography. Now, there's, there's still going to be a number of logistic challenges for their terrain, but there's no 6,000-kilometer journey required from anywhere to get to anywhere, whereas you can be in a place in Canada and have to go thousands of kilometers to get to another place in Canada, usually not the first hospital. <laughs> it's not that far away, but, uh, you know, that is a, a real issue for so when you have users who are um, able to um, privately provide for themselves secondary services that are not embedded within our, our system, and they live in large urban centers and have access to reliable healthcare, they may not be seeing the kind of, oh, well, like, hey, I've never had a trouble getting in to see the doctor or... Um, Similarly, in the opposite, there's, there's smaller community hospitals that people absolutely love. And then they think, oh, geez, you're sending me to this other hospital for treatment for things? Oh, I'm probably going to die there because that other big hospital doesn't have a great reputation because the conditions of lots of sick people, lots of procedures, you know, higher rate of post-surgical infections because more surgeries are performed. It's not because they're a worse hospital. It's that the conditions make the situations and circumstances different, right? If you're only performing two surgeries and they both go well, then you probably have like the highest uh, rate in, in the country. But if you're born with 20,000 and you're doing 19,999, right, you're going to be lower ranking than the place that only did two. The conditions of that other place is not that they're 100% at all of their surgeries, is that they only had two and they were two for two. But they're not, you know, 19,999 for 20,000. They are two for two. So, you know, you have to give them another 19,998 procedures to see whether or not they hold up to that standard, right? And uh, and so that's that's why it's it's important for us to focus on um, understanding the difference between, you know, a, an academic and an empirical truth that will be verified again and again and again. It doesn't really matter what you do to it. It'll usually almost like uh, the, the atomic weights of things and the, uh, the, the nature of uh, various mathematical principles and what 
even though we don't find that last digit yet, you know, what pi is and, and these um, other abstract uh, mathematical concepts are still rooted in very concrete things. So uh, our social truths and the truths that we build for ourselves are more on the conditions and the circumstances. And that leads us to what we determine to be true, but it is not determined as true. And with that little useless quip of wisdom, I will um, I will sign off and wish you all a really good uh, day and, and week to come. Uh, this was the Poma Podcast. If you're looking to support us in some way and have made it to the end of our podcasts, you can find out that we have a GoFundMe at, uh, at GoFundMe.com, uh, Better Policies for a Better World. Uh, there's also a good chance we're going to move our podcast providers as the um, as the service offerings become more available. So there may be some news on that uh, coming soon. And thanks. Bye-bye.